At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American health care. The topic of patient experience, customer experience, really, if we relate it to any other industry out there besides healthcare, it always kind of amazed me that we call our customers patients. And there's a lot of good reasons for that one, but it always kind of kind of sticks with me. But creating an amazing customer experience so that when you go see the doctor, especially within the Freedom HealthWorks model and direct primary care model, it doesn't have to be a miserable experience. I want people to relish, I think is the right word, going to see the doctor, spending time with them, establishing a relationship and really establishing trust. I think that's what most of medical care comes down to is really that T word. It's trust. And knowing that you're going to talk to the same doctor time and time again, and again, build that relationship so they know you, they know your history, they know your family. That's what we are building really our new healthcare system on. Talking to Rafi Salazar, the principal at Rehab U Solutions today to really explore that topic of patient experience and how physicians and practices can, or what I guess some tips and, and tactics to create a really fantastic patient experience for everybody who walks through the door. Rafi, thanks for coming on Healthcare Americana. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Now, when you hear the term patient experience, what does that mean to you? To me, it means walking away from a healthcare encounter, knowing that I just had an interaction with somebody who truly cared about me not what my insurance paid for or not what my diagnosis sheet was, but actually took the time to care about me, my specific situation, the circumstances of my life, and then we worked to help me overcome whatever it is. Maybe it's a disease, maybe it's an injury, whatever. But a positive customer experience in healthcare would be that, walking away with that experience or that encounter, that feeling of I established a real relationship with somebody who cared about me. You mean being seen as a person. I, I think it's kind yes, of, it, it's exactly. the crux of it, right? Like, yeah. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I talk to doctors and they talk about or, or patient experiences and that song about, you know, secret agent man is, is playing in the back of my head, how they're taking away your name and giving you a number. And I'm like, well, reality tends to follow fiction in a lot of different ways. And I'm like, that song comes true every time somebody thinks that they're sick and needs to go see the doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is because our entire healthcare system is like the way that we pay for healthcare these days. I know not in direct primary care, but the, the way that it's been paid for for the last half a century is this fee-for-service model, which really prioritizes high-volume care, which means that in order to, to deliver care, we've got to do some of those streamlined and efficient things like 
we don't worry about what's going on with you or what your name is. We just we got to know what your diagnosis is, what your symptoms are, and what's the solution, right? Yeah. I always love the fee-for-service model because for that to, you know, on the ground, on, on just like the base level, someone's like, oh, fee-for-service, like I'm going to go get this service done and I'm going to pay this amount. This is This is great. What it leaves out is the fact that you need an absolutely educated and informed, transparent industry to do that. You need an educated and informed consumer. Let me just put that there. And then you need forthcoming information. Not always the case. So I always love kind of the the word salad that healthcare, uh, big healthcare companies put out there, like like a fee for service one that thinks, hey, this is this is definitely going to be in the patient's best interest. But yet we walk into the doctor's office and it's not exactly like a menu that we can look up there and order from. So from your experience, when a patient walks into an office, what's going through their mind? Well, I think the biggest thing that is going through their mind is, well, it's one of two things, right? There's a whole getting the care. Does this person understand me? Are they going to really have the expertise to treat me? That's that's like kind of like the, the big, big one, right? Like, do they know what they're doing? Check. The bigger one that really affects people down the road sometimes is healthcare is one of the, if not the only, one of the few industries where, like you said, the transparency isn't there and the patient or the consumer is at such a disadvantage from a knowledge standpoint. They know what's wrong with them. They know that they're having pain or what their symptoms are, but they don't know what the options are for treatment. They don't know which one is more efficacious than the other one. And then they don't know anything about the cost. Is my insurance going to pay this? Or are they going to pay that? Do I have a copay, a coinsurance? What does 20% mean? Is, you know, what are you going to charge that, you're pay- that my you know, insurance company is going to pay you and then I'm going to be left with a, the bill? So the, the knowledge discrepancy there is super, super big. And it leaves a lot of patients walking into clinics semi-guarded, if not totally on the defensive, right? Like they want to make sure that they're not getting screwed that they're not going to be stuck with a big bill later and that they're not going to get seen by somebody who doesn't truly understand what their situation is and if it's going to actually help them, right? You know, you mentioned something earlier in your intro about knowing that you're going to see the same doctor over and over and over again. Like, so my wife has been through a couple pregnancies and with one of them, the, her doctor was out, right? So she had to go see another doctor. And the first thing that she said when she came home was like I don't even I don't even know if this doctor read my chart what the deal was did they you know did they really know about me do they know that this is my you know third pregnancy and yada 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 the doctor was competent right a board certified doctor we know that they know what they're doing but there's still that personal element that is missing and even if it was you know this doctor that is a specialist that has demonstrated competence until you've established a relationship with a patient all the credentials in the world don't matter if the patient doesn't trust you So ultimately, when a patient walks into a clinic for the first time, they're thinking about all the unknowns and then they're still lacking trust. They don't they haven't formed trust. And sometimes it's not because you haven't done anything like you've done something wrong as a clinician or an organization. It's just where the patient is at in their life cycle with your clinic. They just don't know if they can trust you yet. I'm curious, you know, can both of those priorities, you know, one walking in saying this person going to be competent enough to treat me? And then the second one is. Do I know enough to ask the right questions in, in order to satisfy me? It sounds like kind of like a zero-sum game almost where are those things too – are those mutually exclusive? Because in my mind, like it takes an educated consumer to be able to ask those questions. Or in the case of healthcare, a lot of times you just need to ask a question. It's amazing how many doctors will say, if you go to the hospital, just keep talking to the doctor. Ask them what color their drapes are at home, what kind of car they drive just because that kind of relationship building, that trust can trigger something where they actually stop and 
will actually look at you like a human being again. So that's kind of where I'm thinking right now that, yes, a patient wants to walk in and know that they're going to get fixed, I guess, or more information. But on the second hand, like on their hand, like, what if I don't know the right questions to ask so that I can't get fixed? Yeah, that's definitely part of it as well, right? The, again, this discrepancy in in the just the knowledge base out there. And I'm thinking specifically of like specialty treatments and things like that. Like there's no, you can Google something, you can read something on WebMD. But what I like to say, and I, I come from the, the academic space, I used to be a professor in an occupational therapy program, is that chat GPT, technology, all, we have more information than we know what to do with that can spit out a relatively decent answer from a clinical standpoint, right? You can search what are the best, you know, I worked in orthopedics. So what are the, what are the best four exercises for a rotator cuff impingement? And you can get decent answers. The question that patients want answered and the question that is sometimes unanswered by our healthcare system is, are these the right four exercises for my rotator cuff? right? Or for what's going on with me and my situation. So yeah, patients, they might not even know the questions to ask, but then once they know, okay, these are, these are some of the questions that what they really want to know is, is it right for me? Like, how is it going to benefit me specifically versus just every other shoulder patient that has walked into your clinic today? And there is a lot of maybe nervousness or anxiety about whether or not that's going to take place. Am I going to get run through the mill? Is this, you know, is this going to be one of those situations where I fill out 10 pounds of paperwork, 30 check boxes and a bunch of forms. The pay, the doctor spends five minutes with me, tells me to do these four exercises and walks out of the room. Or is this going to be something, an interaction where I'm given the opportunity to what we call explain our narrative experience or tell our story for lack of a better word. And is that story going to be received by the organization, by the clinician and then used in the implementation or the development of a plan of care. Mm -hmm. Now, Rafi, you have written a book, and you also host a podcast called The Better Outcome Show, which you've been gracious enough to have me on. So thank you for that one. Uh, (laughs) Your book, Better Outcomes, Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, you know, going back to really what the impetus of this, this episode was, is, you know, what is your advice to physicians out there who say, you know what? it feels like I could do better or my staff could do a better job of perhaps standing up and greeting a patient as they walk in or grabbing a cup of coffee for them. So what are some some aspects of that initial first touch when a patient walks in that you see a lot of area for improvement on a typical physician's office? I think the biggest one actually happens when they're not even in the clinic, right? So think about the time a patient or the last time you've called to schedule an appointment with a a physician or something like that, some kind of specialist. If you think back to that experience, when was the first time that you were able to really give some specifics about your situation? Not just, hey, I've got this stomach pain or this headache and, you know, I need to schedule an appointment to see the doctor. But like really share what's going on in your life. Like why is this impacting your life? Usually, <laughs> it's after they've verified your date of birth, they've verified your insurance, they've or they've gotten your insurance information, they've gotten you on the schedule, you filled out, you know, God knows how many new patient paperwork packets. Maybe you sat in a waiting room then, and then the nurse or medical assistant comes in and asks a bunch of questions. None of them are still pertaining to you and your specific situation. And then they leave, and then you're stuck sitting in another waiting room or the exam room waiting for your clinician to come in. And only then, once the clinician comes in, kind of gives you the rundown of, okay, this is what they told me is wrong with you, yada, yada, yada. Only then, after 
you've been on the call with them maybe once, maybe twice, been on the phone with the, the practice, gone through and met three or four of the staff members or the team members, um, and then sat in another waiting room or the exam room, do you finally have the opportunity to, to say, yes, you know, it is a headache, but this is why it's important to me, or this is what it's causing in my life. This is how it's limiting you, me, yada, 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 whatever the, whatever the, the reason is. Oftentimes, given the current healthcare system that we have is built from a very, what I call a top-down approach. The organizations spend the big bulk of their energy and their time, probably because they need to or not, they go out of business for not being efficient, but they spend the big bulk of their time at the very top level doing all the administrative stuff. We're going to get what's important to us to do our job, to bill your insurance, and then after that, if there's time, we're going to get to your needs, right? Something as simple as just flipping the script is what I tell people. Like when somebody calls the clinic, instead of diving right into, yes, we take your insurance, let me get your member number, yada, 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 what's your date of birth, let me get you scheduled, does Tuesday work for you? You just flip it and you start from a bottom-up approach. We start with that patient, that customer, if you would, and their specific situation, their unique set of circumstances. You get their narrative experience. And then from there you say, okay, now that I've, understand that you've got this headache and it's keeping you up at night and you know it's impacting your ability to you know care for your infant or go to work or do what whatever is meaningful to you and that's why you're calling us in the first place um, now that I've gotten all that important information let's get with the stuff that I need to get you on the schedule right let, let's get that in for insurance information let's get your date of birth let's get a good contact number for you let's put you down on the schedule but simply reversing the way or flipping upside down the way we actually go about the administrative process of healthcare does a whole lot to build in that trust before the patient even walks into the clinic. Because what's going to happen is that patient hangs up the phone, the, the customer hangs up the phone and say, wow, you know, that was the first time I've ever talked to a clinic where they asked like personal questions about me before I even got to see the doctor. Or wow, you could tell that they really cared about my headache and how that was impacting my life. Maybe they're going to actually know what they're going to do. One for me, they're going to be specific about my situation. All those questions that we had talked about before, like they're already, they're primed to think and to expect a better level and a higher quality of care um, than they would have otherwise. And what we know from clinical research is patients' expectations about the standard of care they're going to receive and their the potential for positive outcomes impacts their experience in the clinic and then positive outcomes, positive clinical outcomes. It's a great point. Absolutely great point. I'm sitting here smiling, shaking my head like, yeah, you know, you show people that, hey, I actually care what's going on to with you. And I'm kind of role playing this in my head. It's like I call into an office and they say, hey, this is Dr. Chris's office. Like, how can I help you? And say, hey, I'm feeling sick. OK, tell me about it. What's the impact? How are you doing? Yeah, we can come see you. I, I'm curious because to me, the other side of that coin comes in on how quickly somebody can actually get into their doctor's office, which if anybody, you know, my the audience is, is listening, they they know DPC, they're sitting there saying, well, yeah, we can get them in right away. This is exactly what we do. We just, yeah, I know, can text my doctor. Just, <laughs> what Rafi said is like, yeah, we do this every single day. Like it's, it's the rest of the world, the rest of the country that needs to wake up and go that route. So even if somebody calls into, you know, fee-for-service, traditional, you know, kind of healthcare or, uh, excuse me, insurance-based practice, and they say, wow, I, I really feel like they heard me, but I can't get in for another three weeks. So what am I going to do about this headache still? No, exactly. I get it. And there are some things that we can do. And hopefully, as 
organizations begin adopting some of this technology, <laughs> it'll, it'll be a little easier. I'm a big proponent of viewing healthcare. So I'm a clinician by, by trade as well. Viewing what we do as clinicians, that the greatest value we provide to patients or our customers is not so much our technical expertise. It's not so much the treatment itself. The value we provide as clinicians is our ability to translate that knowledge or translate that expertise into practical advice, into practical insights for a patient's given situation, right? So while you might not be able to get somebody in in three weeks, and there, there are some places like neurology here in my city is like a three-month wait to get in to see the, the, the neurologist that has the smallest wait time is about three months. So, I mean, that's a super, super long time. I would encourage clinicians to really begin prioritizing the development of patient education materials. Maybe it's a new patient onboarding packet, if you would, that involves tips and tricks and evidence-based clinical suggestions that you can send to a patient that says, okay, you know, I know it's, you know, we've got three months before we can see you, three weeks till we can see you. Given what you told our front office and, you know, you said you've got carpal tunnel, let's just go with neurology. So you've got carpal tunnel syndrome based off of the research. These are the you know, this is what you want to consider, whether it be nighttime splinting or nerve glides or maybe some kind of medications. We'll know more about that when you come into the clinic. But in the meantime, try these recommendations, if you would, leading up to your appointment. It's not a good fit. I mean, ideally would be being able to get them in there now, right? Or doing some kind of telehealth engagement where you could virtually engage the, the patient or the customer and say, okay, we're going to do this cursory screening online. I know sometimes you need hands-on if you're going to palpate a muscle or something like that. But you can do a lot on online as well. And I've had a couple clients do that. Like they know they've got a three or four-week wait time. So what they do is they have a either a remote patient monitoring or a telehealth engagement kind of lead the way, if you would. So we can't get you in the clinic for three weeks, but we can get you in in a couple hours if you want to wait around or if, you know, wait for our call. We can get you in on, our, on a virtual screening or a virtual assessment. So there's more than one way to skin a cat in this one. But I mean, ideally, there really is no substitute for getting me in right now in the real sense of things. Oh, yeah. From the experience standpoint, uh, Rafi, I, I am curious on this one because, you know, for any physician listeners out there, what is your recommendation a lot of times when doctors are saying, I need help managing staff, like I, I, I don't have any management experience, I'm kind yeah. of winging it. <laughs> any advice for docs out there to say, this is how you get somebody to perform and this is kind of the best I don't, I don't necessarily like the term best practices out here, but here are some tips that have worked before for other doctors that don't necessarily have the management pedigree behind there, but are great doctors. Their staff is obviously very motivated. How do you come to perform? You know, this is very common, especially for clinicians turned practice owners, right? Like we did, unless you went specifically to go get an MBA or something like that, or went and took intentionally took business courses, clinicians get taught how to be clinicians, we get taught how to care for patients. So the whole people piece comes a surprise sometimes. It's like, man, I thought, <laughs> I thought I'd be seeing a lot of patients. And now what I'm doing is like answering questions from my front office or from my medical assistant. The big thing here that I tell folks is you want to, one, have clear expectations with your, with your team members, right? Like the, these are the expectations. But how do you do that? Because you can tell somebody, I need you to you know, return referrals, you know, phone, call referrals to schedule them within an hour of receiving them. But it's just a meaningless metric, right? So what we want to do is establish 
without sounding super chintzy, because I feel like this has been, this gets hammered on a lot. And sometimes it's just really cheesy the way it gets done. But like, what are the, what's the mission, vision, values of the organization? And not simply just to put them on a wall, to put them on the website, but every piece of communication, internal communication with team members comes back to this. So for example, I run a clinic, it's Proactive Rehab and Wellness, and we help people um, in chronic musculoskeletal pain. So the mission of our organization is that we're going to empower patients to become the drivers of their own healthcare. So anytime we bring anything to the team, whether it be a new initiative, maybe a new metric we want to track or a new process that we want them to implement, we bring it back to, okay, our mission is to empower patients to become the drivers of their own healthcare. That is why it is important for us to do X, Y, Z, because it would logically flow that if we're going to take the time to empower patients, we need to do whatever it is. We need to get this piece of information before they show up, or we need to do our assessments in this way, or we need to structure our treatment programs in such a manner as to empower them to become self-managers. So that's just a simple example. But the, the big idea is you tie it all back to the mission, vision, values of the organization. You get agreement from the team members, and then you establish accountability. So, okay, because you said that this is an important thing because of our mission, vision, values, this is the metric that we want to use to track that, and we're going to implement it now, and in two weeks we're going to meet again just to see how we're doing tracking this metric or or how this metric is performing. And that's a very simple formula. Basically what you're doing is tying it to the purpose, getting buy-in from clinical staff, and then establishing a clear accountability around that agreement, right? So it's nothing super, super big. It's very simple. It might be difficult to do, and you have to have difficult conversations sometimes if they're not performing. But then you can always bring it back to, you know, two weeks ago when we met, you said that this was, you could understand why this was very important, and you agreed that it was important that we do this. But this metric is slipping down. So in order to, you know, fulfill this mission, what what can we do to pull this metric up, right? And, and I love that last part too, the accountability part of it. All too often we heard someone say, "Well, so and so is not performing, but I really need them, or I can't, I can't, you know, hire somebody." And it's like that's fine. Or you know, the other question, the other, the other thing, I, I it just drives me bonkers when I hear it is. Well, why should I invest in you know taking somebody who's an MA and getting them certified or sending them back to school? Because what if I invest in them and they ended up leaving me? Yeah, I mean, I get it. Um, I think at some point you need to give people a reason to be there, right? You're trying to you're trying to pull them into the team. You're trying to make them a team. I heard somebody say the other day, like staff is an infection team is who works in the office, right? So like that idea of like, we're trying to view these people as team members that are here for the long run, which means we're slow to hire, quick to fire. We're trying to bring on team members that, to quote Jim Collins, that that belong in the bus, right? We're going to find a seat for them somewhere, but they belong on the bus. So some of this is not something that's a simple fix, right? Like it goes all the way back down to recruiting, retaining employees, but it goes back to this mission, vision, value. So we're going to hire people that are values aligned with the organization, that believe in the mission, that are committed, right? Now, things change and people might leave, and that's a risk we take. But if you're hiring right, if you're recruiting right, then we don't so much worry as seeing these people as a potential risk to invest in them to get send them back to school and they're going to leave. Um, I'm, I don't know if you've read the book. I can't remember. Dan Sullivan is one of the co-authors, but it's Who Not How. Like the whole idea of like, in order for your organization to work, it's not so much an issue of figuring out how you're going to do it. It's a, it's a matter of figuring out who's going to do it. And then giving that person, you know, like empowering them to be that 
the person that comes up with the how is super, super important because one, it keeps them around and gives them a purpose in the organization. And then you're viewing your team as a team that you're investing in as opposed to like an expense that you're dealing with or that you're paying for. Oh, it's human capital with a C, right? The capital C right there and emphasis. Heck, bold, bold, all caps on the capital side of it. And once you understand that, that <laughs> this is, you know, this is an asset and it can very quickly become an, a, a liability for you. And I think a lot of health organizations are structured with those liabilities that they refuse to treat their people like people. So, you know, that we're coming back full circle that you treat patients like human beings, you treat your team like human beings and just be a nice person when they walk through the door. And I think you're halfway there, uh, at least in my book. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I always tell people, and I say this in the book, that healthcare fundamentally is a human experience, right? It's one person who is skilled or trained in the in the art of healing, helping another person on their own unique road to recovery, which means that the people receiving the care and the people delivering the care are humans. And that means we need to work on those relationships on both sides, if you would, as managers, as clinic owners. We need to work the relationships on both sides. We need to have strong relationships with our team that they know that they can come to us with whatever issues or challenges that we're going to support them and help them through it and mentor them through it. And then we also need to be there for the patients that we see, that we understand that they're not just Susie Smith, another shoulder patient or another knee patient that's coming to see us, but you know, it's Susie and she's, you know, a mom of four and this is what's going on. And this is why the, the knee pain is bothering her in the first place. So the human element cannot be taken away. You know, sometimes when we're making decisions as healthcare, especially big healthcare organizations, it's based off of like, okay, column A and B need to balance out on column C on this Excel sheet. The reality is <laughs> humans are much more complicated than that, right? We're, we're not numbers on a spreadsheet or checklists on a to-do list. Like there's, there's some real nuances there that we need to get in the weeds about sometimes. You know, it's messy dealing with people. And for lack of a better word, like healthcare is a people thing. <laughs> Rafi, I can't think of anything better to end on. So awesome. that was a fantastic uh, outro for us. So Rafi Salazar, principal at Rehab U Solutions, author of Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare and host of the podcast, The Better Outcomes Show. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. 
Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.